I am, I'm teaching on idolatry today. And uh, so, yeah, a few people away. I don't, I don't blame you. Um, but uh, yeah, it's all good. So I wonder what you think of when I say the word idolatry or, or idol worship, kind of what does it conjure up in your mind? Uh, possibly for, for many of you, you might think of kind of temples and statues and those sorts of things. Uh, as, a, as a child growing up, uh, we used to go to Bali uh, kind of every couple of years, it's a family holiday, and, uh, and we would, you know, everywhere you go in Bali, uh, as part of their culture, there are temples, like almost every corner, there's a little temple, some are large, some are small, and, and people every day will make their little kind of offerings of rice and little flowers and incense burning and, and those sorts of things. And um, I'm just thinking of, yeah, no, I'm not going to share that. Um, but my, my, you know, my brothers and I, we didn't necessarily respect uh, their, their culture and those sorts of things uh, when, we were, when we were younger and, and pay attention to it. But that's kind of what, you know, I would conjure up in my mind at some sort of, you know, Eastern kind of old school thing where people would, you know, sacrifice and do all of those sorts of things. Um, but I want to encourage you, not encourage you, I'm hopefully going to share with you today some uh, understanding of how much more idolatry is and actually how prevalent idolatry is in our culture, potentially even more so than what it has been uh, in times in the past. So what is idolatry? Essentially, idolatry is the worship of anything above or other than God. That is what idolatry is. It's the worship of someone or something other than God as though it were God. Now again, idol worship, it doesn't mean that you're going to view everything and understand in that way and go, well, I'm, I'm worshiping this thing in the same way that I worship God. But that's essentially what we're doing when we worship an idol, we are replacing God with that idol and that thing. Uh, Tim Keller says in his book, Counterfeit Gods, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination, imagination more than God and anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. So that is a great definition of what an idol is. And so obviously the biggest issue of idol worship is not the sin that naturally flows from it. Obviously that's bad. When we, when we worship idols, then we end up falling into sin and doing all sorts of bad and naughty things. But ultimately, the, the worst thing about idolatry is that we replace God with something else in our heart. Now, again, it might not be that we replace God completely. Obviously, those who would reject God and then just worship created things, they would say, well, I've replaced God completely and I'm, and I'm worshiping other things. Uh, but even for us as Christians, there can be areas in our lives, in our heart, where we've actually shifted away and we've replaced God with a thing or an ideal, and that actually become a God in our heart. Romans chapter 1, starting verse 21, is speaking of, of humanity, and it says, although they knew God, so although they knew God, they did not honour Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, 
to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So again, if you want a scriptural reference of what idolatry looks like, we find that in Romans chapter one. Now, interestingly there, it talks that God gave them up to the lusts of their heart. I'm gonna read later on uh, in, in Exodus chapter 20 where it talks about God being a jealous God, but this is also one of the um, really dangerous parts of idolatry is that God hands us over to our idols because God will not fight for the place of supremacy in your heart. God will not wage war for supremacy in your heart. If you wanna replace God in your heart, even in one area with something else, he'll let you do it and he'll release you. He's jealous of your heart, he longs to be your God, but God knows who he is. You don't have to prove that God is God by putting him in number one position. God's always in number one position. God never moves. He just might not be number one position for us. Scary? That scares me. Because it means if I'm unaware, then I can fall into this trap of thinking that I'm worshiping God with every part of who I am, and yet there's parts of my heart that are worshiping other things, and God, although not okay with it, will let me do it. Two minutes in, we're very quiet. It only gets better from here. Or worse, depending on how you look at it. Um, there are two types of people in this world. Those who worship God and those who worship idols. As a philosopher called Peter Kreeft, he says, the opposite of Christianity is not atheism, but idolatry. So we don't have believers and unbelievers, we have worshippers of the one true God and worshippers of false gods. Because we are all worshippers, every single one of us, and we are unceasing in our worship. It's how we're wired, it's how we're designed, it's what, how we're created to be. We were created to worship. It's in who we are. So as I said before, Exodus chapter 20, this is the first of the 10 commandments that prohibits idolatry. And it says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So God is very clear. I am the one true God and you are to have no other gods before me. You are to worship nothing above me. Nothing is to take a greater priority in your heart but me. Serious about it. I've heard people say that uh, I mean, when it comes to, to, if you just love God with all your heart and don't put anyone before him, all of the other commandments fall into place. All of the other commands of Jesus just naturally fall into place because you've got the priority, the supremacy right 
so then everything naturally falls into right order. But if we get one of those things wrong, then something else creeps in its way and we end up worshipping that thing in the place of God. And idol worship is never in addition to God worship. Idol worship takes the place of God worship in our hearts. It's an exchange. So we can't worship God and, and worship an idol at the same time. It's like there is first place and second place and you swap them around, there's not two first places. That's what the Bible's saying. God's not gonna share first place with another God. That would be unrighteous of Him to be okay with being positioned second to something else, second to something that's created. Would you agree? It's just logic, simple, basic logic. So He says, I'm not gonna share that place. I will step out of that place and, and let you do what you want with your idol, but I'm not gonna stay in that place with that idol and I'm not gonna wrestle you for it. You have the choice to do that. So as I said before, humanity is created to worship everyone as a worshiper, not just Christians. It's all people, all the time, unceasing in our worship. And the difference is who or what we worship. Now, as I use that word worship, we kind of understand that in modern Christianity, we often reference that, you know, we had a worship time. I'm not just talking about singing. I think singing is an expression of worship and probably the most kind of dominant or one that we are aware of in our culture is that when we worship, is that we sing out, but we are from a heart of adoration towards God, expressing that adoration in words put to song. But it all starts in the heart it's all hearts that are in love with God, expressing that. It's like when you, you know, with your, when you, God, you're falling in love and you just wanna tell everyone about it, even though sometimes they don't wanna hear about it, but you just gotta tell somebody. That's what it's like to have worship that flows from that place of adoration, deep adoration and love for God. We sing to God because we worship Him in our hearts. But there are many ways that we worship God. We worship God in our obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. We worship God by how we serve, how we love, how we give, all of those acts of worship that we give to God. But worship is primarily a heart reality. And it's out of that heart reality that we give our fullness of worship to Him. This again is another reason why we, we focus a lot on what we call the heart journey and having hearts free. It's not so you can get rid of your anxiety. It's not so you can just feel better about yourself and, and discover your destiny or all of those sorts of things. It's all free, then it's not free to worship and therefore God's not getting the glory that He deserves. Because idolatry lives in your heart. If you're disconnected from your heart, you have no idea what's going on in there. So how could you even discern in yourself whether or not you're worshiping idols? Such a huge part of this. Uh, again, the prayer ministry journey is, is somebody, it's a facilitated time of entering in and the Holy Spirit revealing essentially where there's idols in your heart. And then we're given an opportunity to repent, to come out of worship to those idols and come into right worship of Jesus. And that's always the best thing for us. So God is a jealous God. 
I love that we started with a couple of those songs, you know, God is worthy to be praised and He is the only one who is worthy to be praised. And we were created to worship Him. It's your sole number one purpose is you were created to worship Him. And it's not for God's ego that He created humanity to worship Him. It's like, oh, I'm gonna create some people, but I'm gonna, yeah, I'm just gonna, oh, it's gonna be so good to create these people that are gonna worship me. God does not have an ego. The reason you're created to worship is again, because any other way to be created would be unrighteous and would, God would cease to be God, okay? If you were created for God to worship you, what would that make you? That would make you God. So the, again, this is just logic. It, it makes sense in my brain. So if God is going to create, whatever He creates must be under Him. Like God can't create a greater God than Himself because that would make Him the God of that God that He created, you know what I'm saying? So it's just natural flow that if God is creator and He creates, whatever He creates will naturally be under Him, so therefore worthy to praise the one who is greater than Him. But God is the only one who is worthy to receive our praise. So we get God serious about idol worship. He's serious about being number one in your heart. Really serious about it. But you're also free to not choose that. Which I don't like. I'd, I'd rather God force me to do things sometimes. Like God, it would be so much easier if you could just force me to do that. <laughs> but he doesn't because he's kind and he, the, uh, the currency of heaven is love. Love requires freedom. So idolatry in our culture, in modern culture, can be quite subtle and oftentimes hidden. I mean, we have a show called American Idol or Australian Idol, and you know, it's, that's as blatant as it gets, but people just think, oh, this is people that we think, yeah, they're great singers or whatever. I'm sure some people idolize them. Um, but, but it's not that kind of common. We don't often have in Western culture, you know, kind of big, temples to foreign gods and all of that sort of stuff. But idolatry is all around us. It's flooded all throughout advertising. And we have, we actually do have many, many modern day temples that we go to worship at. We have the temple of shopping, it's called the shopping mall. We have the temple of, of sporting teams where we go and worship them. I was listening to a sermon the other day and they said, imagine if someone from Jesus' time was just transported a time machine to our day and went to a football game. And they just pictured, okay, they, they know what idol worship is and they pictured a stadium, tens of thousands of people all chanting and cheering in unison, you know, to this group of people that'd be like, these men are gods. But like literally, now again, I'm not saying, yeah, you can have a football team and it not be an idol in your heart, but you just that kind of picture and go, yeah, it kind of does seem a little bit like that. We have gymnasiums to all you can eat buffets. Like uh, it's just everywhere in our culture, we have opportunities for idol worship temples that we would go to, to sacrifice to these different idols in our heart. The internet is a huge one. Social media is driven by idolatry. The seeking of praise of others, 
living in the fantasy of another person's world, presenting a version of myself that will garner me with adoration or draw people in to give me comfort. In social media, oftentimes people set themselves up as a God to be worshipped. And they get paid very, very handsomely for it. The more people that worship me, the more ad clicks I get and the more money they make. And you've got people who are literally doing nothing that is of any real benefit to the world, making millions of dollars. It sucks. I do such meaningful things. And, uh... All right, so what are some modern day idols? Now, this is not an exhaustive list. So if you don't see your idol on the list, doesn't mean it's not an idol, okay? I'm just saying these are some uh, that I thought of. Money is a modern day idol. Sex, power, classic SMP, material possessions can be idols. Work can be an idol. Comfort outside of God can be an idol. Family, so our spouse or our children or even the, the thought and the idea of that. Popularity can be an idol. Our appearance, our hobbies, exercise, relationships, hiddenness or escapism can be an idol. Denial, avoidance or procrastination. Ministry can be an idol. Doing good things for God. And as you look through that list, a lot of those things aren't bad things. A lot of those things created even by God or they can be very healthy for us. Exercise is really, it's good for you to exercise. Um, yeah, there's one, food would be one up there. Comfort, comfort's not a bad thing. So not all of these things are bad things, but something that is good becomes bad when we make it God. So idolatry is oftentimes it's good things that become God things for us. So we take something that is a gift from God. Now, there are things that aren't gifts from God that we can make into idols, but oftentimes, and this is the, the, the trap to it, is we take something that's really good and a gift from God, and then we make it God. Rather than letting it, you be God and I'll receive the gift, I make the gift into God, and all of a sudden that good thing becomes a really, really bad thing. Philippians chapter three. Verse 17 to 19 says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now you assume that Paul is speaking of people who were maybe followers of him, of Jesus. It says, Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. Their God is their belly, it talks of. But this is the subtlety of how people can get drawn away very easily from Jesus. So good things are good as long as they don't become God. So then we have these false gods that we can worship um, and false gods 
kind of naturally lead us into false places of refuge. So idols are false gods that we treat like the one true God. The divine attributes of God get placed upon the idol instead. So idols become all that God is to us. So that idol replaces God, but we treat it like God. So where God is my salvation, these, there's all scriptures for these ones. God is my salvation. God is my provider. God is my protector. God is my identity giver. God is my justifier, my refuge, my strength. He is my hope in times of trouble, my peace, my comfort, and my shepherd and guide. He is faithful and true. He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him, the one who will never leave us or forsake us. He is my healer, my deliverer, my hope of glory, and He is worthy to be praised. Amen. They are all truths of who God is. But when we have false gods, then that false god starts to become all of those attributes of the one true God. And this is what happens. Money is my salvation. My work is my provider. My bank balance is my protector. My social media profile is my identity giver. My denial is my justifier. My pornography addiction is my refuge. My spouse is my strength and my hope in times of trouble. My phone is my peace. My fridge is my comforter. Anger is my shepherd and guide. Alcohol is faithful and true. Social status is the rewarder of those who diligently Television is the one who will never leave me or forsake me. Self-pity is my healer. Control is my deliverer. My children are my hope of glory and I am worthy to be praised. This is the exchange issue. Because we naturally, we just, that's who he is and so we make those things, these false gods, but we treat them like gods. If one of those things made you go, not maybe just on the inside, there's there's an issue there because God is being replaced. So false gods then lead us into false refuges because the Bible says, God is my refuge. But if God is not my refuge and a false God is my refuge, that's called a false refuge, a false place of refuge. This is language that is utilised in the Elijah House prayer ministry training. So false refuges can cause damage to ourselves or to others. But sometimes the damage is minimal or unseen. No one's awake when I sneak to the fridge for a late night snack on a tub of ice cream. No one sees what I do in in hidden or in private. And so it's really kind of having that much of an impact. I mean, I only like, it's it's probably like once a month when I have a, a bit too much to drink. Look, well, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I have to work seven days a week. I was, how am I gonna pay for the, the bigger boat? So they, they can kind of look like, well, people don't really know and, and all that sort of stuff. So we can justify, it's like, well, is it really hurting anybody? 
So this can allow people to view their false refuge as not actually being that serious. But the greater issue is that a false refuge is always tied to a false God. False refuges reveal who or what we are worshipping. When we seek refuge in false gods, we seek God. I don't know if it makes it seem a little bit more serious when we acknowledge that when we go to a false refuge, we are literally bowing down at the temple of a false God. We are giving our worship to that thing. Just saying, well, God's not gonna meet my need, so I'm gonna go there instead. I don't feel like God meets my need of feeling significant, so I'm gonna go and bow down at the altar of Instagram and receive all the significance through likes and shares and whatever. But it's not just, it's not, oh, it's just Instagram. It's, it's in your heart, it's a false God. You're worshipping another God. I don't know, I've been to other um, kind of foreign countries and places and I just wouldn't go into, I wouldn't walk into a mosque and start participating in their prayer. I might, I could go in there and pray to Jesus and, and do that. I know people that do that and people who are outreach. I wouldn't go to a Hindu temple and start participating in their practices. Because to me, well, as a Christian, I understand, well, that's not the one true God that they're worshipping. So I'm not gonna participate in that worship. That would be obvious to me. But that's exactly what we're doing is if that we have a false God and that false God becomes our place of refuge, then we are bowing down to that God. We are giving our allegiance to that God as we do that. But I just took a selfie. Yeah. Again, I'm not against selfies. I, well, I am a little, no, I'm not. I just don't, I just don't do them. I take selfies with my kids or something, but I don't get it. But all I'm saying is, so this is the thing, for one person, a selfie is a selfie, for the other person, a selfie is a false God. And this is why as well, it gets a bit funny and you can't be judging people. Oh, you're on Instagram, you must be worshiping a false God. It's like, no, you can't, you can't do that because you don't know what's going on in someone's heart. And this is why it has to be personal responsibility. We're not gonna line you up and get you to do a quiz and they say, oh, false God worshiper. You know, it's, it's not about that. Because again, as I'm saying, I mean, ministry is one. We could have someone who's just doing it out of love for Jesus and in complete freedom and someone else is doing it out of, because they're, they're striving for significance or, uh, and, and performing for God so that He, you know, makes them feel good, whatever it is. But from the outside, they might look exactly the same. But it has to be then the searching out of the heart. I say, but God, is my, is my heart right before you? Because again, it's like, well, I'm just, I'm just not, not gonna do ministry. I'm gonna get rid of Instagram and I'm gonna stop doing that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna sell my fridge. I'm never eating again. And uh, you know, it's, it's not about that. Because again, that's not gonna deal with the heart. It, it is a hard issue and it has to be looked at from that heart perspective. Another obvious massive issue of idol worship is that it robs us of deep intimacy and fellowship with God. Jonah 2.8 says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Sometimes the reason we are not experiencing the fullness of God in our lives is because we've filled that place with another God. 
We're not captivated by him because we have made ourselves captive to idols. It's a question, you know, what, what captivates your attention? What fills your thoughts the most? You know, the Apostle Paul says, you know, just meditate, focus on the things that are above, not the things on earth. But why does he tell you to do that? Because when you focus on the things of God, your attention's gonna be naturally drawn to Him, your affection's gonna be stirred towards Him. Why thankfulness? Because when we come into thankfulness, we acknowledge all of who God is and all that He has done, and it naturally shapes my heart towards that place. It's a really good thing in worship. If you're like, I'm just, I just don't feel great today. I'm gonna to come in, I'm just gonna start, I'm so thankful for this, Jesus. Thank You, Lord, for Your goodness. Thank You for this. And what it does, it starts to stir up affection and adoration in my heart because I'm acknowledging who He is. We start singing out, this is who God is and He is so good and He's so, the reason we sing praise is ultimately really, in the end, for our benefit. God is not praise worthy because you praise Him. He is who He is and He has always been and will always be. We change in worship when we acknowledge who He is. So when it comes to our giving of worship, and I'm talking about at the heart, but also how we express that, it's important that we understand that there's God worship and idol worship, but it's not just about who or what we worship, but also how we worship. We actually need to worship God rightly. So idol worship is ultimately about us. So in the Old Testament, when you when it speaks of the different cultures and they would have gods for all of the different aspects of their lives. So they were agricultural, um, they relied on the harvest and the crops to survive. Like if you had a bad year, if it didn't rain, then you're in big trouble because there are no other options. There's no supermarket, it's like our crop helps us to survive. You know, when there's famine, people just die. That's how it kind of worked. Um, so they would have a God for, of fertility. And they would name that God and they would sacrifice, maybe they'd sacrifice children, they would you know, give it their first um, you know, part of the harvest to that God. There was a whole lot of different kind of processes that they had because they understood that this God represents and looks after this part of our lives. And so we need to keep this God happy in order that He will provide for us. Okay? So there's a lot of bowing down to the God, but ultimately I'm just doing that in order to receive what I feel like I need which is a good harvest to keep my family alive. So idol worship is ultimately comes back to us. But we cannot properly worship God if our ultimate intent is about what we receive. Because this is then worshiping God as if He is an idol. Well, God, I'll read my Bible and I'll pray and I'll come on Sunday and I'll do these things, but I'm kind of expecting that if I do all of those things, then you'll do all that you need to do in my life. That's idol worship. Now, the idol is God, but you're treating him like an idol. And God doesn't like to be treated like an idol. It's one thing you can take away from today. So we worship idols because of what they give us, but we worship God because of who he is, regardless of how we feel or what he has done. That's true worship. Like when you come to worship corporately, just say on a Sunday in the prayer room, any other time, when you're at home on your own, when you come to worship, the premise is God is all of the things that He is. 
And He will always be those things. So that's where I start declaring, this is who you are. Not this is how I feel. God is who He is regardless of who we see Him to be. God is objectively God. Every attribute of God is objectively His. It's not subjective. Oh, well, I just, you know, I just don't see Him that way. Then you're blind. Because He is that. And what the Bible declares Him to be, he, He is all of those things. What we see, and again, where God revealed Himself in the person of Jesus, every part of God contained in Christ, and we see God and what He's like. He is all of those things. God is always objectively and completely who He is. His identity never changes. Our revelation of who He is changes, but He is always the same. It's like, ah, yeah, God used to be a bit of a hard taskmaster, but I feel like He's changed. He's kind of matured in the time that I've known Him and I just feel like, yeah, He's a bit kind of kinder and nicer to me. Nope. So when we gather to worship, as an example, if He was good last week, He is good this week regardless of how your week went. So it is funny sometimes. I don't know, it's just because we're, this is how our, our brains work. But we'll rock up and we come to worship and say, mm, it's not really, I'm just not feeling it today. Oh, I've just had a hard week, I'm just a bit tired. And so, so, but essentially what I'm saying is, well, God, I'm not gonna give you what you deserve because I'm tired and somehow that makes you less God than what you were last week when I had lots of energy to give you. Yeah, I'm just a bit sad, I'm just feeling a bit sore, I'm just, you know, whatever. It's like, it doesn't, you know, or I just feel like you let me down this week, God. God never lets you down. God never lets you down. If you feel like God's let you down, it's possibly because He never picked you up. If he was good last week, he's good this week. God's value is not tied to how much I value him. He is infinitely valuable regardless of my value for him. But when I acknowledge, believe and declare his goodness, I get changed in that process. I get changed. The revelation happens for me. And I'm like, I see you more as you are and I am changed. And I live in the reality of that changedness. And I go out into my week different because I've seen an aspect of God that I never saw before. Again, when in, in prayer, and it could be someone praying for you, having your own encounter in a prayer ministry session, wherever it is, oftentimes we have parts of our heart that don't believe that God is who He says He is, or we believe something wrong about God. And that's what repentance is. Repentance, the Greek word metanoia means literally to change your mind. So it's to change your understanding and perspective on what? On who God is, on what God is like. Repentance is never in reference to, oh, I thought I was going this way and now I'm going this way or directional or destiny or anything like that. Repentance is always tied into who God is and yet who you thought He was. And now you realise this is actually who He is. I think this can be an issue sometimes where people walk away from God because they've come to Christianity, they've come to Christ with an understanding, possibly maybe because of the gospel that was preached to them, that I'm in this relationship because of what I get out of it. Well, I don't wanna go to hell, so I'm gonna pray this prayer so I get in God's good books. I prayed the prayer, Lord, 
I came, you know, two Sundays out of a month, God. I read, my, I read six pages of my Bible last year, God. I did all of these things. I prayed, I'm, I'm trying to kind of keep you happy. I'm trying to keep the relationship going. But then what I've discovered is He hasn't really given me what I was after. Is there more to it than this? But I've come into the relationship because I know what idol worship, how that works. And I've come into my relationship with Jesus, treating Him like He's an idol, like a divine kind of jackpot poker machine, hoping for cherries every time. And God's like, ah, that's not me. You can't treat me that way. He's just not gonna be treated that way. When we get angry or disappointed with God, it can be sometimes because He hasn't done what we think He should or He hasn't given us what we think we deserve. Like we are entitled to anything from God. I don't know if you realise who you were before you met Him. You were His enemy. God shows His, Romans 5, 8, God shows His love for us for while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So long before you knew anything of God, Jesus made a way that you can come in, but then we can never stand there and say, well, I did all of these things, God, so I did ABC, so why aren't you giving me what I deserve? I think the answer is God saying, I am giving you what you deserve. Nothing in relation to what you're giving me. There's no exchange that goes on here. I'm a good father and I'll give good gifts to my children, whether they like it or not. The Bible says that God makes it rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So even unrighteous people get all of the goodness of God. That's how good He is. But we are owed nothing from God. But this can be a sign then of our idol worship of God. I did what God wanted, so why hasn't He done what I wanted? And the answer is because God's like, I'm not your idol. So I'm not, I'm, no, I'm not gonna, I, know you, I saw all those things you did. Congratulations, well done. But I'm not gonna reward that because that's gonna teach you, yeah, that's the way that you can treat me. God does not settle for abusive relationships. He's not, he's not some weak limp-wristed like, oh, just do whatever you want. He's not a doormat. He is the holy God of all creation. Now we can treat Him poorly, but He doesn't stand for it. He is merciful and gracious and loving and kind and long-suffering. He is all of those things, but He will not yield to the position that you give Him. You say, no, no, I'm gonna be God and I'll, I'll wait for you to, to see me as God but I'm not going to relegate myself to the position that you put me in to be less than who I know that I am. So how can we discover if we are worshiping idols? Here are some questions to ask yourself. What are we not willing to give up? Where do we go in times of trouble or need? Does a certain thing push me closer to God or draw me away from God? 
if I think of something, it's like, well, will this, will I get angry if I don't get this thing? Or if I can't do it? Maybe you've recently said, if only I could have dot, 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 everything would be okay. If only I had this, everything would be okay. Have you felt in your heart a sense of desperation that you're sure would go away if only you were acknowledged or loved by a particular person? Have you felt anxiety or fear around the possibility of losing a particular thing or person? Do you love or treasure anything or anyone more than God? Do you prioritise anything or anyone before God? Does anything bring you more pleasure than the things of God? Do you place your identity in anything over your status as a child of God? Do you look to anything or anyone to meet your needs instead of God? And do you seek fulfilment, satisfaction or comfort from anything outside of God? Another one is, what am I willing to sacrifice everything for? Again, that's a short list. There could be a whole lot of other questions. Now, again, I'm not saying that, oh, so I, I can't, receive a hug from someone and get comfort. No, 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 we're not, we're not saying that, okay? People are still important in our lives. God gives good gifts to His children and He can bless us with food and food is good, you know, for, for us. And like it's, we're not saying you, you've got to strip out everything and live this kind of stoic, disconnected life from any form of pleasure. No, God, He, he made things pleasurable for us to receive. Of pleasure, that ultimate place of comfort, that's when it becomes a God for us. What am I willing to sacrifice everything for? This is often the thing. This can happen in ministry, it can happen in, in someone's work life, where they're willing to sacrifice things in order to make that work. I, I'm I'm not gonna I, I won't share who, who it was, they'll know exactly who it was. Um, when I share, but I was chatting with someone recently and, and kind of going through and, and God just kind of revealing some, some idolatry. But I, I said to them something that I noticed was um, when it came to in their life, um, things would, when things would start going bad for them, um, they might kind of disconnect from their friendships. They might start disconnecting from family they might start struggling in their faith. But when it came to the idol, that was never an issue. That was always the last thing to cop it. Even though that might've been the thing that was causing the most harm or stress or impact, and yet I will sacrifice everything else in order to keep that thing happy. And to me, it's like that's a sign that that thing has been elevated to a position of God in your life. you understand it's subtle. It's not necessarily gonna you know, smack you in the face. Conversation I have with people sometimes, and it could be it'd been years, their whole life that they've just understood, or they've been raised to say, no, nah, this is a really good, positive thing, and, it needs, and it's really important and all this sort of stuff, but it gets elevated to a position of God. Before idolatry is a heart issue. So we must change our heart, not just our behaviours but it will usually manifest in our behaviours or values. Ezekiel 14.3 says, Son of man, these leaders have set up idols in their hearts. So this is at the time where there was temple idol worship and yet it's saying they've set them up in their hearts. They've embraced things that will make them fall into sin. 
Why should I listen to their requests? You know, we're coming into a week of fasting and fasting is a really helpful tool to reveal our idolatry, but it won't deal with our idolatry. It will reveal it, but it won't deal with it. If a greedy person gives away all their money, it doesn't necessarily make them less greedy. It just makes them poor and greedy. That's the worst place to be in, you'd assume. But this is the thing. So um, it requires um, like a a two-pronged attack, essentially. So fasting is really good because it will help to reveal, it might help us to um, break a habitual pattern so if we have some sort of form of addiction, I'm like, man, I'll just try. Then abstinence, so abstaining from that thing can help me. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna try and break the habit of going to that false refuge. But at the same time, I need to deal with what is going on in my heart that's causing me to run to that thing all of the time. Because if I don't deal with that, I might be really disciplined for a season of time, but ultimately I'll go back to that thing or I'll find something else to be my idol. I know I've heard stories, people, they'll go, from, I'm gonna, I'm addicted to smoking, so I'm gonna quit smoking, cold turkey, done. And then, but then a week later, they find themselves consuming all of this extra food and becoming this thing. And all they're doing is they're replacing one idol, the idol of cigarettes, with the idol of food. But unless you deal with the worship issue, the heart issue, you'll just move from one to the other or eventually you'll kind of trickle back to that thing. So this is a really important thing. I mean, this is like Christianity 101. You gotta do heart transformation, not behaviour modification. What you want is to not have the desire to go back to that thing because you've broken the habit and that is our brains are wired habitually. We get neural pathways and all of that sort of stuff. So sometimes having a break fasting from something, just cutting off the reliance is helpful, but you have to then simultaneously deal with what is going on in my heart, Lord, that keeps drawing me to that thing. What am I actually after? Because what you're actually after is rarely the thing that you're consuming. No, I just got a huge appetite for sugar. That's why I keep going this. No, you, possibly you have a huge appetite for comfort. And that's, a, that's an okay thing. Now, if your comfort is trapped to, to past trauma and, and issues like that, then that's something that God can heal and deal with miraculously as He does. But there has to be this acknowledgement, okay, so I'm, I'm seeking out comfort when I go to the fridge. So I then need to, when I feel that prompting to eat, I'm gonna go to the Lord. Because it doesn't make sense. It's like, well, how's God gonna give me sugar? No, no, don't go to the fridge, Brad, go to prayer. How am I gonna get sugar in prayer? No, you missed the point. It's not about the sugar. It's about what's underlying drawing you to that. You know what I'm saying? So I go, okay, well, I mean, literally the Holy Spirit is called the comfort, so He, He can give me comfort in that place. He can meet my needs in that place. Most issues, when, particularly when it comes to addiction, now I know there are people even in this room who've had way more experience in uh, journeying with people with addiction, all of that sort of stuff, but I can only assume, and even from what I've understood, that most of the time, addiction is related to heart issues. Oftentimes it's trauma and, and different things that, that people have experienced in childhood and it just comes out in health, unhealthy addictions to, to particular things. I remember years ago, I was uh, counselling someone and they had, uh, they were long-term um, addicted to methamphetamines 
and they uh, went to the doctor and actually then the doctor diagnosed this person with ADHD and gave them uh, the medication for ADHD. And this person said to me, said, the, the medication is as good as the meth that I was getting. But now I can go to the chemist and get it cheap anytime I want, load up on that sort of stuff and no one cares. So she went from uh, meth addiction to prescription drug addiction. One from the eyes of the world, oh, very bad, meth addict. Oh, but oh, on this end, oh, okay, ADHD, yeah, you need some help with your mental... All of a sudden it's gone. They're both rooted in the same thing. She had undealt with trauma that was manifesting in a way. So again, when we look at the person who, who uh, takes drugs versus the p person who shops too much, same issue, different manifestation. Understand? At the heart level, same issue, but one looks nicer on the outside. Fasting reveals our idolatry. Repentance frees us from idolatry and worship of Jesus keeps us from idolatry. I'll say that again. Fasting can reveal our idolatry. Repentance frees us from idolatry and worship of Jesus keeps us from idolatry. So fasting helps to reveal who or what we're worshipping. It's about creating hunger for more of God. And He is longing to pour out more of Himself. Fasting establishes a pattern of turning to God when we have needs, rather than just turning to created things in the place of God. And as I said before, it's not that God doesn't want you to enjoy life. God created good things. He created joy. The Bible says in His presence there is fullness of joy. God knows how to have fun. The first miracle was at a party that He ever did. Like He's not a party pooper. Sinners loved hanging around Jesus. There must have been something that was captivating about Him. Okay. It's about order in your heart. God first, everything else second. I'm not saying God first and then sin second. I'm saying God first and then good things enjoyed in that right order. Fasting helps us to focus in, even to spend time in prayer when we acknowledge that longing for food or that longing for that false refuge. I wanna encourage you as well, come along to the prayer room this week. Maybe you haven't. And I know that the times aren't, don't suit everyone. You might be at work and all that sort of stuff. It's not some magical place, okay? It is just what we're wanting to do with the prayer room. The main point of the prayer room is not intercession. It's adoration. Now, do we intercede? Do we pray? Yes, sometimes. Most of the time, I know on our Tuesday staff prayer, most of the time, we just sit in silence, just enjoying being with God. Sometimes we'll pray for stuff. Sometimes nothing comes up. It's primarily not about intercession, but adoration. We're making a public declaration in how we spend our time that we're saying worshipping God first is primary. So when you come along to the prayer room, again, the language might not be helpful. You might go, where's all the prayer? So we just, prayer is, part of prayer is just enjoying God, adoring God, worshipping Him. So again, we, we set up that space. You could do that any place, any time. That's not what it's about. But what we're saying, and we wanna have this culture that says, no, but this is primary for us, that we'd be known as a people who love Jesus. Number one. We're at the end. So what is the remedy for idol worship? Oh, sorry, we're out of time. Um, 
Tune in next week. No, no. <laughs> well, if you can remember something, remember this. The remedy for idol worship is not less worship of idols, it's more worship of Jesus. You will never remove idolatry from your life if you just try and stop worshiping idols because that's just gonna leave voids in your heart, which then ultimately will get filled back with something else. So again, as I said, you know, fasting is helpful. Um, being disciplined in things, abstaining from things is helpful. But if you're not filling the void with Him, something else will fill that void. So the, the number one remedy for idol worship is not less worship of idols, but more worship of Jesus. So when God reveals an idol in your heart, and it might be a subtle one, I mean, you might even be brave enough to say to somebody, hey, do you think there's any idols in my heart? Have you noticed anything in my behaviour that would maybe give an inclination that I might be worshipping an idol? But when the Holy Spirit reveals it, now again, I said, you go and ask someone. There's not permission for you to go and tell people. Okay? But when the Holy Spirit reveals it, recognise and repent of your idolatry. So again, basic stuff. I've got to recognise, come before Jesus, ask for His forgiveness, repent for that, turn from that sin and turn towards Him. And that's step number two, turn your heart and mind towards Jesus. So fill that space, that void with Him. Now again, you might find, well, I, I go to the fridge for comfort. I'm like, I'm not gonna do that. And I go, I'm just gonna go and pray and be with Jesus. And I'm not finding Him filling that space straight away. Okay, but again, that's part of God. No, you, this is gonna be a transition for you. It's gonna take some time to break the chemical addiction, the physiological addiction to those things, which is a reality for us. It's gonna take time to break the habitual thing. And also God's not gonna be treated, you know, like a, oh, okay, just think, but then I'll go back again. So God's like, no, no, you, you might need to dwell here for a while. It might take some time. It might actually take some time for your heart to be stripped away of all of that satisfaction and, and love and comfort that you found in that sin, okay? So it's gonna take some endurance for Him to be that place for you. So then it is about establishing new rhythms in your life. And I'd encourage you, not just in times of need, oftentimes false refuges and idols, they become their needs based. Like if I'm, if I'm doing good, I don't need it. When I'm struggling, then I run to that idol. I run to that place of refuge, okay? This makes it really hard because now we're in need and we don't wanna do the longer journey of developing that with Jesus. So then we find ourselves falling into that false refuge, that idol worship, okay? So what we need to do is start to create any patterns. When I don't feel like I'm in need, then I'm gonna start to build relationship with Jesus, spend time with Him out of desire and out of longing and out of building a different rhythm in my life. And then what I'm gonna find is when I'm in a time of need, I'm gonna find I'm already in His presence. So I don't think to run somewhere else because I'm right here with Him. But we've gotta create those new rhythms in our lives. And number four is just worship Him. Turn from idols and worship Jesus instead. So you actually gotta give some expression of worship. And that might be singing, it might be declaring, just praying. If you've got a prayer language, praying in, in tongues, whatever it is, just finding a way to stir up adoration in your heart. If that's the depth of your prayers, you just, you just sit in thankfulness in the morning and you sit in thankfulness in the evening and just tell them, God, you're so good. Thank you for all that you've done and you're so good to me and you're so faithful and let thankfulness stir up adoration in your heart. 
whatever it is. Just be putting yourself in that place and stirring up adoration in your heart towards Him. Okay? But remember, you've got to replace that idol worship with Him. It's about transitioning from false God to one true God in every area of your heart. Amen? All right. Well, let's respond in repentance and prayer and worship. Shall we do that? Amen. Oh, there he is. Can you just dim the lights for us, Kev? I'm not trying to create some moody, manipulative thing, but I just know for me sometimes it can make it easier to enter in if I'm not feeling like everyone's staring at me like you're currently staring at me. <clears throat> you know, if it helps, why don't you stand to your feet or you're welcome to kneel or you're welcome to be in whatever posture you feel that is acceptable for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, Holy Spirit, I just acknowledge the weightiness of this word that I ever preach. I know I'm myself number one. That Lord, idolatry is not something that um, anyone escapes from, Lord. And so Father, it's even just a a natural pattern for us coming out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. And whether that's been for one year or for 50 years, Lord, there may still be areas in our heart that are captivated by something or someone other than You. So we acknowledge Your long suffering, Your patience, Your mercy, your empowering grace, Holy Spirit, that You're not angry with us. You're jealous for us. And You're jealous that You would be number one in our hearts, number one in our lives. And we acknowledge that when You are fully first, everything else comes into order. And that's what we long for, Lord. We long for more of You. We long to be the people that You desire and deserve us to be. But we also acknowledge, Jesus, that there's some areas in our heart where things are just not in order. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that You would come and You would rightly connect our emotions to Your conviction, Holy Spirit. If we need to weep, let us weep. If we need to Cry out, let us cry out, Lord. Father, where maybe even our hearts are disconnected from our sin, where our conscience has been seared by so many years. Father, where fear is coming up at the thought of letting go of that thing that has given us so much. We ask Holy Spirit that You would come, that You would sever every tie of deception, Lord. You would peel off the scales of blindness, Holy Spirit. 
and You would bring a revealing, Lord. And Father, there might be many areas in our heart that are not in order, but would You take the one or the two or however many You're wanting to reveal to us and would You make it real to us now, Holy Spirit. Lord, I bind up all fear associated with the tearing down of any idol, Lord. And Father, as You bring revelation, we recognise and we choose to repent now, Lord, for the idolatry in our heart. And in particular, those things that You've revealed to us, Holy Spirit. We repent for putting them in the place of You, for worshipping them above You, Lord. In our ignorance, or even with a knowing God that we've done that, we ask for Your forgiveness. We receive Your forgiveness. And we turn to You, Jesus. Captivate our hearts, Lord. Come and fill that place, Lord. Come and fill that void. And Holy Spirit, I, just, I, I come in the authority of Jesus and with that divine power that the Apostle Paul spoke of, I tear down every idol that would set itself up against the knowledge of Christ. I command a breaking of its power, a de demolishing of every structure that has set itself up against You, Jesus. Father, where many, many years, maybe for some of us, Lord, that we've been locked into this pattern and this behaviour, Lord, would You come now, Holy Spirit, and break the power of that sin, Lord. Break the power of those belief systems, Jesus. Break the power of the habits, Lord. We even ask now for the miracle working power to come and to draw back even those neural pathways, Lord, where there has been a power in that addiction, God. Would You break the power of that addiction and would You come Holy Spirit and cast out every spirit that would be attached to these idols, Lord these false gods, Father, which then can become attached to true spiritual entities, Lord, that are set themselves up against You. They're Your enemies, Jesus, but that You would come and You would cast them out in Jesus' Name. That You would set us free fully from the worship of these idols, Jesus. Would You let Your life flow into these voids, Lord? Let Your Spirit come and fill every place, Lord. And would You come and wash us clean, Lord. From the inside out, come and wash us clean, Holy Spirit. From every defilement, Lord. Thank You, Lord. Thank You, Jesus. And I just sense Your delight, Lord. I sense Your delight, Father. <laughs> but as He is saying, this is a good day. This is a good day for you. This is not the end. This is the beginning. It's the end of an old way, but it's the beginning of a new way that is far greater than you could ever imagine. Where you thought you needed that thing, I'm gonna show you that all you need is me. I will satisfy you deeply. Thank you, Lord, that you're just pouring in deep satisfaction in you. turn our hearts towards You in worship, in adoration, 
in praise to You, God. We praise You, Lord. You are good, God. You're worthy to be praised, Lord. You're worthy to be praised, Jesus. You're worthy to be praised, Jesus. You are worthy to be praised, Jesus. You are worthy to be praised, Jesus. Just tell Him He's worthy. You're worthy to be praised, Jesus. There is none that is more worthy than You. There is none that can take Your place, Jesus. You are worthy to be praised, Lord. You're worthy to be praised, Jesus. working Holy Spirit we welcome you have your way here Lord we don't want shallow conviction we want deep conviction Holy Spirit we want a full work Lord so we yield ourselves to you greater measure Holy Spirit thank you Lord thank you Lord 